Our scripture reading today is going to be from uh, Luke, the 6th chapter, the 20th through the 49th verse. In the Bible, it's in the pew. It's page number 1078 through 1079. If you've got a large print Bible, it's in the pew. It's uh, on page 1600 through 1602. If you have a mobile device, you're welcome to uh, go to that on your iPhone or your pad. Again, we would like to welcome our guest that's with us today, and thank you for being here. If you would, if you uh, first time, if you would fill out this Connect card and drop it in the offering uh, later, or either you leave it on the pew, and we'll pick it up from there. But good to have each of you here this morning. Again, the uh, the reading this morning is from Luke 6, chapter 20 through 49. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when you exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. But I tell you, hear me, love your enemies. Do good for those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what, that, what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sin, even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. <clears throat> be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, 
running over will be poured into your lap. For the measures you use will be measured to you. He also told them the parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will be, seek clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me, Lord? Lord, and do not do I say? Will I show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice? He is like a man building a house who dug a deep and laid in foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Let's say that you're in the wilderness without a weapon and you should have taken bear spray but you didn't and you come face to face with this guy looking just like that and let's just say for a moment that you have never heard any advice from any expert source on how to handle a bear like this now most of us know that we have a like a they call it a fight, a fight or flight, right? Fight or flight instinct. But we also know that when we are obviously outmatched, <laughs> flight is the default. <laughs> For 99% of us, the 1% is just crazy. Uh, if, if you are looking at something like that, you run away. You get away at any expense, at any cost. That is normal to feel that way, to think that way. Um, we, most of us, have heard that you're not supposed to do that, I think. Uh, especially if you've ever gone to a, a national park or something like that. Then, you know, they try to make that really clear. Don't run from bears. Uh, but that's still, I still wonder sometimes. If I came face to face, would I even remember what they said or would I just run? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, they say that you should just back away slowly. And that if he decides to attack you anyway, you should just curl up in a ball and try and protect your vitals. Um, as if that's going to do any good if he wants to eat you, really. 
but there are things like that that we, I, I point that one out because I want us to accept something before we dive into what Jesus has to say to us today. And that is the fact that sometimes what feels wise, what seems wise, what might be popular, isn't always what leads to life. <laughs> isn't always what's best. Right? This is certainly true with bears. Uh, but it's true in other ways as well. We believe uh, that the gospel tells the story, it's the account, the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And a big part of that is how Jesus taught us to live. How he said his kingdom operated. And where we could find the best quality of life. Jesus offers us the kind of life that sin and hell stole. Or you might say that we gave away <laughs> when we chose sin. The gospel is about Jesus and the life that he offers you and I and everyone. And the thing is, sometimes when we, when we encounter what Jesus says and when we encounter what Jesus does, it runs very counter to what we might think would come natural, to what we might consider conventional wisdom to the way the world operates, to what is popular, to what comes to our minds most quickly. And so a lot of times we kind of ignore those parts of Scripture. We like to talk about how Jesus loved us, how He died for us, how He rose again. We like to celebrate His birth at Christmas. We like to celebrate His resurrection at Easter. But sometimes we like to ignore all the stuff that he said and did in between that maybe doesn't feel quite as comfortable. Now last time that we were in this series before Faith Promise last weekend, uh, we talked about the two greatest commands that Jesus gave us, right? To love God and love your neighbor. To love God and love each other. To love God with everything to love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty much everything else Jesus had to say falls under that umbrella. And so you'd think that we would all be good with it and, and would like that because those are popular notions, at least the second one, in our world today. In this nation that, whether they like it or not, have been deeply affected by the message of Jesus. Uh, they still cling to aspects of it like love. But the way Jesus said that that love worked itself out and the way that our world likes to work that out are sometimes vastly different from one another. And when we read what Jesus has to say in any culture, in any time, from the dawn of civilization to today, there are parts of it that just don't make a lot of sense to us. We just read a whole bunch of it. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Who does these things? Don't judge and condemn, but forgive as much as you'd like to be forgiven. I mean, that might make sense on some level, but it's sure hard to do 
Jesus said things like, you're blessed if you're poor, but woe to you if you're rich. Woe being a warning. Blessed if you're hated. Woe if you're popular. Doesn't make sense. Complete opposite of what we would think of conventional wisdom, of the way the world works. The Gospels are full of this stuff. Chock full of it. And so it's important for us to remember at the outset, to remember the bear, before we dive into this. To remember the fact that sometimes what seems to make sense will actually lead to a painful death. Sometimes what is true isn't always what seems most obvious at the surface. I think it's worth remembering, holding in our minds, this is an advantage that we had that they would not have had when Jesus spoke these words. But I think it would be to our advantage to remember that the same Jesus that spoke the words that we'll examine today is the same Jesus who died for us on the cross. The things that he teaches us, they're not given as some arbitrary rules. They're not given on the whim of a God just to please his fancy, as it were. These are the words of life. These are the words of a God who came to a world that was dying, that was wrecking things, and still is, and breathed hope into it. Who taught a better way to live, And many people have embraced that better way and found it to be truer than true. To be better than good. And many have not. And our hope is, our ultimate hope is, that one day Jesus will return and he will set up his reign and his kingdom's ways, his will, his values will be the dominant ones. They will be the ones that all will live by. And what a better world that will be when His ways are the ones that seem like common sense. When His ways are the ones that seem like obvious wisdom. But while we live in this world and await His coming, the things He has to say don't make a lot of sense on the surface. You have to look deeper. And it helps to trust his motives. One who clearly did not come and give these just for his own glory. Else why would he have gone to the cross? You might say that Christ's kingdom turns the wisdom of this world upside down. And for the greater part of this message, I just want to walk through some really practical things that Jesus taught about 
and think about how we can apply these in our lives, what this means to live in such an upside-down way in this world. Christ's kingdom turns the wisdom of this world upside down. This is so true across his teachings that you could just about walk around in this world and, and just ask yourself, what is popular? What is easy? What is smiled upon by our world? And you can identify those things as the things to beware of. And you could go and you could look at what are the things that this world hates? What are the things that this world does not espouse or live by? And you could just about set your life by them. Now there are many areas where the world will have like a partial truth, right? Where at least in in words it sounds good. It sounds similar to what Jesus would, would say. And yet when you dig deeper, it's vastly different. Let's just look at a few today. And we'll start with one from the passage that we read today. But we'll go broader than that as well. We read a long passage today. And, and it was full of things that just run counter. Right? All the blessings and the woes. All the love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Forgive instead of judge. Stop looking at the speck in everyone else's eyes and start worrying about your own plank. These are things that run counter to our will, counter to our flesh, counter to worldly wisdom. But Jesus said, didn't he, at the end of that passage, he said, If you'll hear my words and do them, you'll build your life on a firm foundation. But if you hear my words and decide to reject them, you'll be building on sand. One of the things, and this came straight from that passage we just read, the first one that we'll look at today, is is to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Complete opposite of our wiring, right? Just look at... I just get on Facebook. <laughs> just get on Facebook and just see how we treat our political enemies, how we treat people who we think are worse sinners than we are. Just look at the way we treat one another when we're kind of anonymous and behind a computer screen instead of face to face tells you something about what comes maybe natural Jesus says don't get back at people give love to people overcome evil with good Take this world's wisdom, turn it upside down. You'll actually be building your life on a firm foundation. How about us? How good are we at loving the people that we might classify as our enemies? How 
how good do we do at, at doing good to people who do bad to us. Another thing Jesus taught uh, that, that happened when this guy came to him and said, uh, Teacher, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Who am I to judge between you? you? Work that out on your own. But he adds, Be careful. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he goes on to tell this parable, a story about a guy who planted a crop and just things went wild. He used miracle Grow or something and nobody else had any. Uh, it just grew like crazy. And he had this bumper crop and he was like, what am I going to do with it all? He already was rich. He already had lots of barns. Uh, but the barns weren't big enough to hold it all. Uh, so... Endless options available to him. He decides to tear down the old barns, build bigger barns, and store it all, and party the rest of his days, and just live it up, because he had stumbled on to all this wealth. Jesus says, guy's a fool. Let's say his life is demanded of him this very night, and then what will happen to all that he stored up for himself in this world. It says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. But that runs very counter to what we all feel to be true on some level. And it would certainly what our world would say. Even in the church, there are entire versions of the gospel that say you should be blessed with all the possessions of this world. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're you know, believing in faith and praying circles around things and you know, it, you know, seizing your best life now, then you should be living it up right now. There's preachers who go to their churches, right? And say, God's telling me I need that mansion over there on the hilltop. Right? I need this sports car, this luxury car, um, so that people can see how good it is to live for Jesus. This is, it even infiltrates the church. And certainly, it's widespread in our culture. And if we're honest with each other, we all believe that it is better to have many luxuries than to have none. We all really believe that. Even though, I think we would all admit that there are people without any luxuries who are much happier than most of the people with all the luxuries. There are people in third world countries who are much happier and have far lower suicide rates and rates of depression and all that stuff than people in our culture with all these luxuries. And yet we all want more luxuries. Be careful, Jesus says, about greed. Because your life doesn't consist of possessions. A better life is not about more square footage. A better life is not about that nicer, newer car. 
And by the way, Jesus also taught that radical generosity is the best anecdote for greed. Give freely, give radically, be free from the bondage to the rat race, for more stuff, for keeping up with the Joneses, and build your life on a firm foundation. Here's another one. This one found in Luke 22. Jesus said to them, being his disciples, his twelve, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. We know how this goes in our politics today, right? All the politicians love to cast themselves as the champion of the people. And we know that most of them are lining their pockets. Right? We know this. <laughs> most of them, uh, we, we like to hope that some of them have good motives, but we've seen it too many times not to know that a lot of them we know what they're in it for. And even if they got into it for the right motives, it seems like politics has a way of corrupting even the best of people. Apparently that's been true for a long time. Jesus said, they call themselves benefactors, uh, even as they you know, lord it over people. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, which in that culture is the older people that had authority and the younger people that didn't. Um, the younger ones expected to serve, the older ones expected to lead. And, and the one who rules should be like the one who serves. There's this argument that seemed to come up a lot even amongst Jesus' own disciples because their world was the same as our world today. And they all believe, just as we all believe, that it's better to be over people than to be under people. Right? It's better to have the power than to be under the power. It's better to use your power for your own gain. If you're in that position, we'd all feel that way, right? If, we're all, if you had a whole bunch of power, it would be your natural inclination to uh, just serve everybody, right? <laughs> no. This runs counter to the way we're wired, to what would be conventional wisdom in our world, to the way that the world works. And yet Jesus said in His kingdom, the things that His kingdom values, what He said is the best way to build your life on a firm foundation, is to take every bit of power you get, whether it's big or small, whether it's just in your home, or at your place of business, or in the church, or wherever it may be, and use it, for the gain of others. Use it to serve others. Use it to help others get ahead rather than helping yourself get ahead at their expense. Use your power for good rather than gain. Take this world's wisdom, turn it upside down, and you'll build your life on a firm foundation. Anyone uncomfortable yet? I'm telling you. Remember the bear. <laughs> Could be worse. No. Uh, this one I think is, is harder. They came to Jesus. And they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife 
for any and every reason. And then Jesus talks about divorce. And this one isn't preached on much anymore. Uh, I think mostly because it's kind of complicated. Understanding the context that Jesus spoke into is a little bit complicated. Uh, but certainly, we're complicated on the subject, right? Divorce is, is more common than not in our culture and even in the church today. And so we like to stay away from things that, that make us uncomfortable. But Jesus dives right into this. And I would suggest that even though he was talking about divorce, the issue was much deeper and wider than divorce. And the principle of what he taught had a lot to do with our relationships and with our sexuality, the way we live that part of our lives out. And it was very countercultural. It was very much opposite of what his world thinks and, and the way that our world operates, even though our world's a lot different than theirs. See, in, in his day and in that culture, uh, men had every right to do what they wanted to do with their marriage, with their wives, to set them aside, to marry someone else, to set them aside. And this was obviously being abused. And, uh, you know, use your imagination a little bit. Life goes on. The first wife starts to, uh, you know, get a little older. There's somebody else prettier, looks like they'd be more pleasing, so we'll set this lady aside because I can divorce them for any and every reason, and I'll marry this one over. Now, who cares that it means that uh, this woman over here that I'm divorcing and leaving aside, now she has no one to care for her. Um, hopefully she can find a husband, but probably not a very good one since she's uh, already been married before. And, uh, you know, everyone's looking for the virgin or whatever. So um, you can see how this was a raw deal for the ladies. Hello. Or, you know, the second wife, she was pretty. But boy, she's obnoxious. So we set her aside for this nice girl that he met. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Those divorce laws were put in there because y'all have problems. <laughs> That's the Neil translation. That divorce law, Moses gave you that because y'all have problems. But you can't just abuse it and act like you, know, you can just walk all over people in the name of your personal pursuit of pleasure. And in Matthew and Mark's Gospels, this is immediately followed by Jesus' discussion of how important kids are. I don't think that's a coincidence. Not only were these guys treading all over their wives, they were treading all over their kids who thrive best in a secure family environment with a mom and a dad. That's not rocket science. And so Jesus says, basically, the issue at stake here is don't pursue your own pleasure and happiness at the expense of of others. Yes, there are cases where divorce is justified and needed. Jesus isn't telling anyone to sit under an abusive husband or an abusive spouse to watch them beat your kids or you better stay with them because you're not supposed to divorce. No. What Jesus is dealing with 
is a messed up society and a messed up system where people were pursuing their own pleasure and happiness at the expense of others. And let's not kid ourselves and pretend that men and women don't do this in our world today. This is almost all we do today. I mean, turn on the TV and you'll hear people talking about how important it is for each person to pursue their own version of happiness, especially when it comes to their sexuality. Look at the way that we treat sexuality. Now this is how we identify and find our self-worth of who we are as a person is based on our sexuality. How did we get here? I've known uh, people, friends, perhaps you have too, who have gone through divorce and you scratch your head and basically it amounts to this person thought they could be happy doing something else so they went and did something else. No abuse. No cheating. It's not like the other spouse cheated on them. They just decided they'd be happy with something else and they got up and left. Jesus is talking about that. If you think that it's okay to pursue your own happiness, that that is what is most important, not the repercussions that it has on the lives of others, then you will fit in very well with this world. But Jesus said, purity, purity is better than pleasure. Things like faithfulness, and trust and children matter. So take this world's wisdom, turn it upside down, and you'll build your life on a firm foundation. Can you handle one more? Everyone take a deep breath. I needed to. <laughs> To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men walked into a bar. No, sorry, wrong story. A Pharisee and a tax collector walked into the temple. That's what it was. <laughs> they walked into the temple. And I just, that always, it just sounds like one of those jokes. And I wonder if they had temple jokes back then, you know. A Pharisee and a tax collector walk into a how, how crazy. Why are they walking in together? So uh, the Pharisee walks over there and he's praying, Oh God, thank you that I'm not like all those sinners. Or like that tax collector over there. Thank you that I fast twice a week and I tithe my money. I'm such a good person. And then uh, Jesus tells about the tax collector who stood off at a distance would not even lift his face to heaven like the Pharisee was so glad to do, but beat his breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. How opposite of the way we think, not just in the church, but in the world in general. 
How opposite that must have seemed. How upside down to everyone who heard that in his Jewish culture and who, to everyone who hears that in our culture. If there's anything we believe in as Americans, it's this idea of lifting yourself up, of getting it done. The, the American dream that you can achieve anything. Just put your mind to it, set your will to it. This is the way we're wired to think. That it's the ones who do the best job that are lifted up, that are exalted. Right? It's the ones who have a lot to be proud of who are exalted. If you ask anyone even that believes in any kind of afterlife, you know, Christian or not, of how that all works, you know, probably they either believe that everybody gets in uh, to some kind of good thing, or they might believe in some kind of karma, right? Where what you do good comes back to bless you down the road, and what you do bad comes back to curse you down the road. If they believe in some kind of heaven and hell, then they probably believe that good people get into heaven, bad people get into hell. That's how it works. The, the Hitlers of this world, the tax collectors of this world, the people that we love to despise and point our fingers at, uh, you know, the, the perpetrators of all the Me Too stuff, hell is for them. Those of us that keep our act together, who treat our grandmothers kindly, then we get into heaven. Because that's the way our world is wired. Those who do good earn, are exalted. Those who do good in business get promoted. Those who are morally good They're good to go. And Jesus said it has to do with humility, not do-goodery. That's maybe my word. But <laughs> humility, not do-goodery. Your, your willingness to say, I don't have it all together, is far more important than your ability to pretend that you do have it all together. Your willingness to confess what's not going right is far more helpful than your ability to put on a good show. Humility, repentance, confession, not popular, opposites really of the way our world is wired and yet Jesus says, if you'll take this world's wisdom and turn it upside down, you'll build your life on a firm foundation. You know, this is uh, kind of heavy stuff. It's, it's a lot. It's overwhelming. How seriously should we take it? I think gets on everyone's mind in some form of that question um, everything in moderation 
right? Popular idiom. So surely that applies here too. Surely, you know, Jesus was maybe overstating a little bit to make a point. Because, I mean, it's not really realistic in this world to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you. It's not really realistic in this world, is it, to live a pure life? If we were all radically generous, we wouldn't have anything left. All these things buzz through our heads because we're so wired into the world's wisdom. So we think, well, this just isn't realistic. But I guess that depends on what reality is to you. On what is true or not true. Because, see, that's the thing. This is the radical thing about what Jesus is doing. He's not just coming with a set of ideas for you to wrestle with. He's coming with a whole different kingdom. And he said, his kingdom is not of this world. And you could tell just by watching the way Jesus lived, right? You could tell that he was living by a whole different standard of values. A whole different concept of reality. And how did that go for him in this world? I mean, they crucified him. Jesus believed in a reality that was more real than this world. And I believe that's true because Jesus didn't only die, but he rose from the dead in spectacular fashion. I mean, he didn't just rise from the dead. He rose with a new body. The people that saw him were astounded, changed their whole lives and their whole perspective on everything. They witnessed something so incredible that when joined with the claims that Jesus had made, it revolutionized their world, turned their life upside down, and in turn has been turning our world upside down ever since. And there have always been people ever since that first moment when Jesus stepped onto the scene and began to teach these things and then when he died and resurrected and sent us his Holy Spirit. Since the launch of the church there have always been people who chose to live into a new reality now. Who didn't wait for heaven to come but started living into heaven now. Who didn't wait for the kingdom to come, but started living as kingdom people now. Because they believed that that reality was more real than the reality of this world. And not only that, they believed that reality was a better way to live. And not only that, they believed that if they did that, and lived into that reality now, it would be beneficial, not only to them, but to this world that's in desperate need of the truth and this desperate need of, of life to fill up all the brokenness and the hurt and the death would you 
be interested in turning your life upside down. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your way of life. For taking what is wise to this world and making it foolishness. For taking what is foolishness in this world and making it wise. God, the truth is that we are soaked through and through with the wisdom of this world. We need your Holy Spirit to set us free to live the life you've laid out for us. Thank you for saving us by the blood of Jesus. Remind us what we've been saved for. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.